0: The prayer is that uh, these conversations would rise up to the Lord, and we believe that... Hello, yeah. Are you telling me I need to get in shape? Yeah. Wow, nice. Awesome. Okay. Hey, <laughs> my name's Dave, one of the pastors here at Sedaris. Uh, if you're new with us, welcome. So glad that you're here. We're going to enter into a time of teaching, so if you've got... A copy of the scriptures would you grab it if you don't there's uh, one of these Bibles in the seat back in front of you and we're going to be in the Gospel of Luke which is the account of Jesus life written for us by Luke uh, who himself was a medical doctor so in this particular four Gospels four accounts of Jesus life death resurrection and as we're talking about today his ascension um, Luke's gonna be the most detailed he was a medical doctor and so he was very precise he he has a two-volume set Luke, and then the book of Acts is actually written also by Luke. So the book of Acts recounts everything after Jesus' ascension. So you have stumbled into Sidaris if you're new on uh, what we call Ascension Sunday. We always do this the week after Easter. Um, if you come from a more traditional background, it's, it, it, it's uh, usually done like seven weeks after Easter, but we like to do it right away uh, because Luke does it right away, even though there's different ways to look at it. So... Um, It happened about uh, seven weeks after Jesus rose from the dead, but but we do it right here because we believe the ascension is the third leg of the tripod of the gospel. So if you miss the ascension, you don't know about the ascension, or maybe you've never even heard the ascension preached, you might misunderstand what the full promises of God are, what Jesus is doing even now today. One of the great truths, and hopefully you feel that when you come to Sedaris and and you go to a gospel-centered church, is that uh, the God we serve, Jesus, who we worship, is very much living. He is our living hope. It's not just a story from the past that uh, helps us live our life now, but God himself, Jesus himself, is alive, ruling and reigning from the right hand of the Father. And that is because of this last act that we see in the gospels, the ascension. So we're going to read about that today so last week we taught you um, he is risen He risen he is risen indeed and that's true today just like it was last sunday just like it'll be tomorrow he is risen meaning he is alive so where did he go where is he That's what we'll look at today. And I was thinking about this. um, Every other sort of godlike figure in our society or in history, somebody that is revered and even worshipped, that we idolize, at some point, you ask the question, where are they now? Me, as you know, if you've been here, big basketball guy, my first love. And uh, I grew up in a pretty special era in which I got to wake up, or, you know, after church on Sunday, go home and watch... Michael Jordan play on the network TV NBC held the games back then and I'd go watch him and man he was to me as a young kid I worshipped him I idolized him I was thinking about this today for anybody that we worship for me it was Michael Jordan where is he today well you can go find him he's not quite the same as he was he's not quite as alive or athletic or unstoppable as he once was In fact, uh, he made a comeback after he retired. Some of you have probably watched The Last Dance uh, documentary that came out uh, maybe a year and a half ago. Um, Final championship, he really left on the top, but he couldn't stay away. He had to come back. (laughs) But when he came back, he wasn't quite the same player he was. Many people don't know he had two years playing for the Washington Wizards, where he was anything but a wizard. He was uh, (laughs) quite human, in fact. And so all of our so-called gods eventually reveal themselves in a final act to be not gods, except for Jesus of Nazareth, who he came back, and he was more alive, we talked about that last week, than ever before, and he remains more alive than ever before. So how can we know that, Dave? Look around. Look around. For 2,000 years since his ascension, People have gathered in his name, singing praises to him. How strange it is to do that for someone who is not alive, who has no power, who does nothing in the world anymore. Perhaps it's true, what we'll read today, that he is very much alive, sitting at the right hand of God the Father in the heavenlies, in the heavenly realm, in heaven putting all things under his feet, as the scriptures say, until one day he returns to live with us. So this is why we we take a week to study the ascension every year, because we feel like, maybe you grew up in the church, we feel like this just doesn't get talked about. It's sort of Easter, and then it's sort of the Easter slump afterwards. (laughs) Like, okay, what now? What's there to look forward to? See in a year or see in a couple months? No, there's so much to look forward to. In fact, uh, the first creed of the church, this would, this would have been um, sort of recited at baptisms, probably as far back as the apostles. But we have it, it sort of first comes to its formal um, uh, writing, probably in the uh, mid-200s, okay? So maybe, maybe about 250 years after Jesus' uh, death, resurrection, and ascension. And this is the creed, that for thousands of years, Christians have said and believed And circled around. Here's the creed. I'll read it to you. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord. He was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead, and on the third day he rose again. He ascended into heaven. And he is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic, or that just means universal, church, the global church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the everla- and life everlasting. Amen. So, since very early on, this was... Let's condense everything that it means to be a Christian? What is it that we communally believe? This is what was spoken. And the ascension is, is a part of this creed. We don't want to forget that. <laughs> because in the ascension, understand the ascension, believing the ascension, believing that Jesus Christ is sitting in heaven, very much alive, very much As our mediator between God and us, our high priest, Hebrews will say, is to unleash the power of following Jesus in the world. Christians have believed that from the beginning. We don't want to forget that. So let me give you the summary then of the last 40 days of of Jesus' life on earth before he ascended. He was arrested. Falsely accused, beaten, flogged, mocked, ridiculed, convicted in a puppet trial. And eventually he was crucified and died on a Friday evening. He rested dead, breathless, lifeless in the grave on Saturday. Then he rose on the first day of the week, which was Sunday morning. We celebrated that last week. Then he appeared first, like we talked about last week, to his female disciples. And then to his male disciples, he let them touch his hands and his feet and his side where he was pierced so that they could see his scars from the crucifixion. And then he also ate with them. He's a fish man. He asked, does anybody have any fish? This was clearly a physical body. This was not just a vision or a ghost. And Jesus made sure they knew that. Touch me. See me. Eat with me. He's very much a physical resurrection. Then, as we know from Luke's parallel account, uh, the book of Acts, um, and we know from Paul's words in 1 Corinthians. We'll be back in 1 Corinthians next week. We're going through a series in that letter. We know some other things that happened in that time, those 40 days after his resurrection. We know that he met with his disciples. He taught them. About the scriptures and how his death and resurrection fulfilled all these promises in the Old Testament, the Hebrew scriptures. He clarified for them what they needed to know so that they could take his mission forward. We also know that he appeared to up to 500 other disciples during this time. And then we know that he gave a few different commissioning speeches. We have different accounts. In the Gospel of Matthew, John says a few things, and and together we see these are Jesus's commissioning words to his disciples. Matthew 28, you have the Great Commission to go into all the nations preaching the Gospel, baptizing people in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching the people everything that Jesus had taught them. We see John giving us a different glimpse of some final words that jesus gave commissioning his people and then we see luke's account today which we'll read and then something happens jesus is translated he transitions in his physical form from this realm the earthly realm into the heavenly realm it's important to not think of this as just sort of he's rocketed into the sky that, that somehow with enough time and money. We, we could b- build a spaceship and a rocket. And we could go to him. No. He, he actually, his ascension is more than just a physical ascension. It is a spiritual ascension in which his full physical body, in some mysterious way beyond what we can understand, is translated from earth into he- what, what the Bible calls heaven or the heavenly places. This is the full presence of God the Father. Of course, no one's been there. No one's experienced this. Jesus is the first. In this way, like in every way, Jesus is our pioneer. He is the first fruits of the resurrection and the first fruits of the ascension. This translation where heaven and earth now meet for the first time. It's it's so beautiful. In fact, um, I'll read this quote from Gusto Gonzalez, uh, a commentator who was writing about this. He says, the ascension... Is the moment at which that union, which is God's plan all along, for himself to be united with, a human, with the human creatures that he created, that union comes to fruition, for now there is one of us, humans, where we shall all be, where from the very point of creation we were intended to be, and where is that? In the full, unfiltered presence of our Creator God. So Jesus now, in, in the virgin birth, takes on full humanity, dies on the cross for our sin, proves that his sacrifice is received and complete, and he has victory now over death and sin and the grave, rises and now ascends or translates into the heavenly. He's now the full presence of God. So in that way, he's our pioneer, and the union of God and humanity are complete and full. In this heavenly realm, Jesus is fully human still and fully God. This gives us great hope that we have not forever tainted what it means to be human so that we can't fulfill our destiny, which is to be united with God in his full presence. This unfiltered presence and holiness of God. Beautiful. There's a poem uh, by Arthur T. Russell who was living... Um, in 1800s, he wrote this. He said, "Our great High Priest hath gone before. Now, on His Church, His grace to pour, and still His love He giveth. Oh, may our hearts to Him ascend; may all within us upward tend to Him, who ever liveth." This is the ascension. It's so important we can't leave it out of the gospel this ascension is not just jesus departure from earth but it is also his arrival in heaven again we have such a sort of earth centric view of all things because we are because of sin human centric because of our personal sin we are me centric One of the principles you'll learn at sederis it's our principle zero, meaning the overarching principle of all other principles hang from, is it's not about me. If you learn that principle and live that principle out in every area of your life, you'll live a much better life. And so when we think of the ascension, sometimes we think, oh, this is just Jesus departing from the most important, best place ever. No, (laughs) Jesus is now arriving to the most important, best place ever heaven, and one day he will bring heaven back with him to earth and heaven and earth will be reunited in this great glorious consummation of all things. And so don't think of the ascension as, okay, just the end of Jesus' story. It's actually the beginning of a new story, a new union that will eventually come to fruition when he unites all things. Uh, One way I like to think about this, it's a peculiar, strange day you don't quite know how to celebrate he's leaving but he's also arriving uh, one of the things that this reminds me of is uh, I talk about this when I do weddings on your wedding day it's this strange sort of end of an era <laughs> right you're like your dating life your single life your engaged life some of you who have done your wedding Andrew Nerson I probably re- reference this and so in some ways it's sort of ah that phase of life is over and it's a beautiful phase it's a phase of exploration But actually, it's the first day, your wedding day, of a much greater life. A life that will hopefully last longer than what you've just come out of. The same is true of Jesus. He's leaving earth. His earthly ministry is now over, his first earthly ministry. And now he's entering and arriving in the rest of his life where he rules as king. The king of kings, the lord of lords. And he's putting all things under his feet in some mysterious way. So he's not sort of just waiting. He's working. It's not just the end of excitement and adventure. It's the beginning of a new phase. That's what we celebrate when we celebrate the ascension. It's a peculiar day. It's the end of one phase and the beginning of a new, better phase. And In church history, we call this the, church, the age of the church, where he is building his church. He's drawing from all nations and all tribes and all tongues and all ethnicities, people to himself. He's building the kingdom on earth. Sometimes it doesn't seem like that's happening because of all the war, because of disease, because of despair. But he is building it. For those who have experienced aliveness, you know he's building it, starting in your heart and working out. So how do you participate in that? We're not just waiting for him to come back. He's got work for us to do. He's building his kingdom now from on high. He sent his spirit, we'll see, so that his kingdom can be built all over the world and it's no, it's no longer centralized on him in Jerusalem, but he can send his disciples, who he fills with the Holy Spirit, all over the globe. He's getting earth ready for heaven so that he can reunite heaven and earth. That's what he's doing right now. He's alive, and he's doing that, and it's beautiful. And the ascension marks the end of one and the beginning of a new season. Oh, it's so so amazing. I love (laughs) Ascension Sundays. Jesus, our pioneer, goes, as he always does, somewhere we cannot go unless he has gone first. Oh, man. The ascension. So let's read it. You ready? Let's finally get to it. Now, I'm going to start a ways back just so you can get some context with the reality of the risen Jesus in full resurrected body. So we're going to start Luke 24, uh, this is page 939 if you hadn't found it yet on, in the Pew Bible here, page 939, we're going to start chapter 24, that's the big 2-4, verse 36, that's the small 3-6, says this, and as they were saying these things, they were all gathered, the disciples, in a room, and they were scared and terrified. and They'd heard some rumors that, wait, the grave is empty, but they didn't know what was going on. So they were saying these things. He himself, Jesus himself, stood in their midst. He said to them, peace to you. But they were startled and terrified and thought they were seeing a ghost. Why are you troubled? Jesus asked them. And why did doubts arise in your hearts? Look at my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see, because a ghost does not have flesh and bones, as you can see I have. Having said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. But while they were still amazed and in disbelief, because of their joy, he asked them, Do you have anything here to eat? So they gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate in their presence. He told them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms, this is just a way of summarizing all the Old Testament scriptures, must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. He also said to them, This is what is written. The Messiah would suffer and rise from the dead the third day, and repentance for the forgiveness of sins would be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. You are my witnesses of these things. And look, I am sending you what my Father promised. He's talking here of the Holy Spirit. As for you, stay in the city until you are empowered from on high. Then he led them out to the vicinity of Bethany and lifting up his hands he blessed them and while he was blessing them he left them and was carried up into heaven after worshiping him they returned to Jerusalem with great joy and they were continually in the temple praising God fantastic now, Luke is the only uh, one of the gospel writers who gives us detail of this ascension, but he's not the only one that talks about it. Uh, John will talk about Jesus saying, don't grab hold of me, Mary of Magdalene, who, who, who was with him and clinging to me, says, I have not yet ascended, meaning I have more work to do. I have to ascend and be with the Father so that I complete my plan in the world. Um, of course, in the epistles, the letters written to the early church, it speaks of the ascension, And um, So I just want to make a few notes here On the the particularities of what Luke has said In his uh, account You ready? The first thing I want you to notice is uh, Verse 45 Verse 45, look at it again What does he say? Jesus says Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures Now What I've already said is that Jesus, when he, he said, I have to go and be with the Father so that I can send you the Holy Spirit. Which is to say, I can diffuse my presence into all my people. And, and when I do that, the Holy Spirit, we'll, we'll read elsewhere, will illuminate your mind to understand what God is up to and what he has written in his word. And so the first thing to note is just that if we've got the Spirit, if we've received the Spirit, we'll talk about that in a second, we have two things at our disposal, two instruments of which we use to accomplish God's plan of putting all things under his feet so that he might return and reunite heaven and earth. And those two things, one are the Spirit, which he says the, promise, the, the Father has promised and he will send, and the other is what? Scripture. So God op- Jesus opens their minds so that they can understand Scripture. Now what's implied here is that we need something to open our mind which is the Holy Spirit, so that we can understand the Scripture because those are our instruments. Our witness that God has done something in our life and the Scripture that God historically has done something in the world. So those are the two things anyone needs to participate in what Jesus is doing right now, the ascended King of Kings. Now, when we go and we do things, how are we to do those things? Look at verse 47. What does he say? He says, And repentance... For forgiveness of sins would be or will be proclaimed in his name to all the nations, beginning at Jerusalem. So there is this in the name of Jesus that is a part of what God is wanting to do in this age, in this season of the ascended Lord and the building of his church. And we see this phrase twice in the Gospel of Luke, but 17 times in his sequel, the book of Acts. Meaning that when we go to do the work of the ascended Jesus, we do it in his name. For thousands of years, things that are truly done in his name, because of his prompting, because of his guiding, those things come to life. Which is how we know that Jesus is not dead. He is risen, he is alive. So we do things in his name. And we are, verse 48, his witnesses of these things of what things of all that Jesus has done now speaking to the disciples he was speaking to people who literal were literal eyewitnesses but through the spirit who confirms what we read about what Jesus does and because we've experienced the power of life with Jesus we too are witnesses that God is alive that Jesus is alive we are proclaimers of his message teachers of his word And we are eyewitnesses of his power through our personal experience with the risen Christ. So this is true of us as it was true of them. Meaning you must what? You must have experiences of God now in order to participate in what he's sending you to do. Are you experiencing? Are you a witness of God's power in your life? If not, in a second here, we'll ask a couple questions to help us figure out why that is. Okay, next thing. Verse 49. He says, I am going to send you something. <laughs> what? I'm going to send you what the, what the Father promised. Now, elsewhere we see in the, uh, the book of Luke that that promise is the helper, the comforter, the Spirit of God. So Christians believe there's one God in Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It's a divine mystery. We don't quite, but they're distinct persons of God, though there is but one God. Jesus says, God will send you. The Father will send you. It's a sure thing. The tense is a future perfect, meaning, or sorry, a future present tense in the Greek, which means to say, you can be certain that you will receive the Spirit. This is the spirit promised of by the prophet Joel in the, Old, in the Old Testament. Joel chapter 2, you can read that. And Jesus says, I will, me and the Father will send the spirit. Now what happens when the spirit comes? Second half of verse 49. And I look and I'm sending you what my Father promised. As for you, stay in the city until you are empowered from on high. Another translation to say, and power will come on you. Power from where? From on high. So the gift of power is what Jesus promises. But there's something very important to note. This gift of power never comes just on its own. The power comes in connection with what? The work the king wants to do. Um, So you will always experience the power of the Holy Spirit when you are doing the work of Jesus. So at this point, you might be asking yourself, I don't know if I, maybe you've been a Christian for a long time. Maybe you're not yet a Christian. How will you know? How can you know? If you have experienced, if you have the Spirit of God living with you, how can you know that? This part of the verse is so important. Have you experienced power from on high? The Bible is very clear. It is, especially in the book of Acts, the distinct mark of every Christian is that they possess the Holy Spirit. How do I know? How do I know? Well, as I said, this gift of the power of the Holy Spirit is never disconnected from the work of God's ministry. So, when you are doing the work of God's ministry, do you feel like it is empowered from on high? So, what is the work? Well, it's going to be slightly unique for all of us, but very common as well. So, you say, I don't know what God's asked me to do. That's okay, because He's asked all Christians at all times to do a few things. He's asked us to share His message, the message of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, and, and what it means. He's asked us to share our personal testimony of what God's done for us, our, our story of God's grace and mercy in our life. He's asked us to serve in the community of believers, the church, to serve brothers and sisters in need, those who are struggling, those who are suffering, to come alongside them, to lift them up, to build them up. He's asked us to love our neighbor as ourself. He's asked us to praise God in hymns and spiritual songs. He's asked us, to fellowship with the saints in real, tangible ways. He's asked us to do the work, our work, our labor, our jobs, as unto the Lord, as if God himself is asking us to do this engineering or this architecture or this programming. Whatever it is, to do it as unto the Lord. He's asked us to read and study the scriptures in community and alone with Him. He's asked us to pray and talk to Him in community and with Him in a quiet place. So, these are all the things, the work, that we can at least know are we stepping into that. Now, here's the kicker. When you do this work or other things that you feel God has asked you to do, even when you don't desire it like you think you should, but you do it because of obedience even when it terrifies you, so this doesn't mean there's no fear in doing these things, to share your story, to share the gospel, to be a part of the church, even when you don't feel like you're doing a good job, even when those things happen, regardless of those things, when you partake, do you come alive in a peculiar way? Do you experience a peculiar quality to living, like we talked about last week? Do you feel unusual? Does something happen that is unimagined? Do you feel fulfilled, delight in a way? Do you come alive? Okay. To get clear on this, so you got to have the right work, and you got to have the right spirit. And if you have both, something unique should happen. So at this point, I'd like to call up, i got an analogy for you, but I need help, because there's only one great scientist in my household. This is my son Grayson. Grayson's going to come up. Come on, buddy. Good to see you. Give him a round of applause, okay? So me and Grayson are going to... Grayson taught me this experiment. Okay, so hold this here, Grayson. We're just going to make make a little space here. So so let's move this over here, buddy, okay? Let's move this center so that everybody online can see as well. Okay. So you got to have the two ingredients working together. So this is an experiment Grayson taught me. So let's start with that, Grayson. So don't open it yet. We're going to set it right in the middle here. We've got to get our Mentos correct. So what we've got is we've got a Canadian dry uh, a beverage. Nothing against the Canadians, but you may not experience the full power of God here. <laughs> okay. So, don't, so let's open these Mentos, G. You, okay, you do that one. Okay, we'll save these ones for the other, okay? we got plenty, of, yeah, we've yeah, we got a good helper here, that's fine, come on up, okay, let me eat one of these real quick, oh, so good, okay, anybody you know, okay, you ready, so I'm going to open this, and you drop in as many Mentos as you can, let's see what happens, let's see if this comes alive in a way that's unimaginable, okay, ready, set, drop them, go, 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 Oh. Not so good. Do you say that's divine? No. <laughs> I don't think so. Sorry, I love ginger ale, but let's let's take a look at this other option. Okay, stand here, G. Remember, I was never turn your back to the audience here. I was looking in the face. Okay, so so let's get as many as we can. If and by the way, I've tried this with Skittles. It does not explode at all. You could get it wrong on both sides. You've got to have the two right ingredients to make it come alive. Okay, are you ready? Okay. Let's get as many as you can here. I told Pastor Ryan I wouldn't make a mess. I may have lied. This is not a sturdy ground here. Let's, let's. There's a little tilt here, G. So let's tilt it away from the audience. You're welcome. Okay, you ready? Okay, get them all. You got to get them in quick. Okay, you ready? Okay, ready? Set. Okay, let's go. Oh, wait. Okay, go, 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 go. All in. Whoa. I think it got shaken a little bit (laughs) before. Try this at home with your children. No child is too young to do this experiment. Can we give a round of applause to my helper, Grayson? High five, bud. Okay, Go sit with mom. Great job. We have been practicing that for years, and it couldn't have gone any better. So whoa. The point is this, you can't mismatch the work and the spirit, but when the work of God and the spirit of God participate together, it always comes alive. Why am I, why am I, why did I give all this attention? My guess is that many of us, when I say, do you have the Spirit of God alive and working in you? You probably get a little nervous. You wonder, I don't know. I don't know. And if you don't know, that should concern you. Because the mark of every Christian is that they possess the Spirit. Jesus says, I will send to all who are mine my Spirit, But there can be a number of reasons why you don't know. One reason can be that you have got the wrong work. You're not doing the work that Jesus has assigned to you. You might think you're doing the right work, but you're actually not doing the work he's assigned to you. So my work is not the exact same as your work. We have these commonalities. But he might be calling you to do something, to speak to someone that he's not calling me to speak to. To love your neighbor is not the same as to love my neighbor or any neighbor. And so perhaps you're not coming alive in these ways because you are maybe not hearing. Or you're not listening to where God is calling you to be and what he's calling you to do. The other option is that you're just not doing any work. You have said, well, God only calls certain people like pastors, like Tylene, like the band. He doesn't call everyone, and that's just false. Jesus calls all of his people to participate in his work. So if you're not doing anything, then, then you should not expect to feel the aliveness that comes with having the Spirit. And then the final option is, if you're, if you're struggling to know if you have the spirit, you may not. You may not have the spirit. Now, I'm, I can't give you the spirit. Only God gives the Spirit. Jesus spend, sends His spirit to those who are His. And they say, like, "What can I do? How do I receive the spirit?" Well, you can participate in that. You can ask. Ask Jesus, send me your spirit. Remember we, last week we, we, we talked about opening our hands and releasing those, those lesser blessings that we hold on to because we, we don't know what life will be like without them. You open your hands and you say, God, give me your blessing. Send me your spirit. Please send me your spirit. I renounce all these shadow blessings. I want the real deal. I want the real thing. Send me your spirit and ask him to fill your hands. You could do that. You could do that in the songs we'll sing at the end. You can hold your hands out and pray and ask God to fill your hands with his spirit. Perhaps you might even feel in your hands the weight of his presence falling on you. Jesus wants to give his spirit to you. I believe that. I don't think you're here for, on accident. I think he has a plan for your life. I think he wants you to do his work in the world through his power from on high that he's giving out to all those who are doing his work. But you've got to ask, and you've got to be willing then to go and do the work that he's called you to do. And I promise you, when you do, you'll come alive. It won't look the same for each and every one of us. I'm not saying aliveness in the spirit looks like it does for me or Tylene or Ryan or whoever. It's going to look different for every person depending on your temperament and your personality, your introverted versus extrovertedness. It's going to look different, but it, but it is something for all of us. You will feel it in your bones. You will feel this sense of God with you, working through you. And it's beautiful maybe goosebumps or giddiness or excitement or just this sense of, wow, where did those words come from? God is with me but you will feel alive and I want everyone to experience that the fruit of knowing that you have the spirit of God only comes with the power from God, doing the work of God through you so if you don't know just start doing, even if you don't feel like doing it or desire doing it or know exactly what to do Ask him, do the things that are common to all of us and see if God meets you in that. If you're not, ask him, reach out your hand, ask him to fill you with the Holy Spirit. We have examples of that in the scripture where people had received even the work of Jesus on the cross. They said, I know he died for me. They believed that he had been risen from the dead, but they weren't experiencing the power of the Holy Spirit. They say, what is this Holy Spirit? We haven't heard about the Holy Spirit. They'd never been taught about the ascension And how Jesus is sending his spirit to all those who love and follow him. So I'm telling you, God has the spirit ready to give to you. Will you ask him to fill up your life with it? So um, it's a beautiful part of being a Christian. And I want you to experience it, particularly if you never had. So now I want you to look at one last thing when it comes to the ascension. Something beautiful and it ties into last week. What is it that Jesus does right at the end, starting in verse 50? Starting in verse 50, he says this. Then he, that's Jesus, led them out to the vicinity of Bethany. And lifting up his hands, he blessed them. He blessed them. talked about this last week. Aliveness and blessedness are synonymous. He blessed them. And while he was blessing them, he left them and was carried up into heaven. What's going on what is this blessing I want you to picture it okay try to go there in your mind's eye as Jesus is blessing it says he lifted up his hands now what did we just read about his hands Does his hands look like mine no they have scars from the nails that were driven in so picture this he lifting up their hands Blessing them, but showing them what this blessing cost. It was not cheap. It cost Jesus his life. It cost God, Father, Son, and Spirit. Separation that they never experienced for all eternity. He's saying this, he's implying, my wounds become your blessing. My wounds become your blessing. If you study the scriptures, you know this idea of blessing those as you are departing is not uncommon. In Genesis chapter 27, uh, Jacob, the twin brother of Esau, but the second born, tricks his father and his older brother. It's a strange account. It almost seems to be like celebrating trickery. And... He pretends to be his brother, his father is blind, and he goes to his father right before he dies and says, I want your blessing. And the father, thinking that it's Esau, ends up giving him his blessing. What, what was the blessing? It was more than just words. It was like signing over the will. You get my inheritance. You get all that is mine. You get to be the head of this family. You get all my authority. This, You get my name. You get my kingdom. That's what the blessing was. And Jacob knew it. And his brother didn't. That's what the story's about. Jacob knew the value of that name and that authority and that kingdom. And he says, I'm going to do everything I can to get that blessing. And the, and the strange part in that story is, after his brother Esau comes back and asks his father, Hey, father, are, are, are you going to give me that blessing you promised me? His father says, what do you mean? I, already, I, I did, I already gave it to you. And he says, No, no, you didn't. And his father realizes. Jacob. And Esau asks him, Well, Dad, can't you just give me a different blessing? Another blessing? And his father says, I can't. There's only one blessing. There's only one blessing. That's what our world asks, doesn't it? Wait, you're telling me there's only one blessing? Well, can't you be blessed through a lot of different ways and different means and and different prophets and different... And Jesus says, no. There's one cross. These are my only hands. This is my only plan. There's only one blessing. And it's the blessing that Jesus gave to his disciples that day. And he continues to give to all who come underneath him and his cross. And anyone, Scripture says, can have that blessing, but you can't get it in some other way. You have to see the value of that blessing and give everything to get that blessing. Jesus tells tons of parables about this. He says, if you found out there was a treasure buried in a field, sell everything you have, buy the field so that you own the treasure. He doesn't say, well, maybe there's other blessings elsewhere, other treasures elsewhere. No, there's one blessing, there's one treasure. And if you realize what it was, you would do everything to get it. This is the blessing. And this blessing is then sealed by the Holy Spirit coming to both tell you you are blessed and you can never lose it. Once blessed, always blessed. Once the Spirit comes into your life, it can never go away. Yeah, you can try not to listen. You, cannot let, you, cannot, you can allow God not to move in you, but you can't lose the blessing. The Spirit seals it for you, this gift given. But there's only one, and it comes through the wounded Savior who lifts up his hands and says, By my wounds you are healed. So a word of warning as I close to go along with what I hope is encouragement. Because for some of you, you'll come to this table, we'll celebrate the Lord's Supper, and you'll say, Yes, I have received the blessing. I have said, Yes, Jesus' wounds have healed me. I have forgiveness of sin I have life eternal because I am surrendered to Jesus but some of you might not be And the Bible promises that those same hands that were raised to the disciples those same hands that Jesus raises to each of us now those same hands will be raised again There is coming a day when Jesus will raise his hands not just for those who see his hands and with tearful rivers of joy surrender my Lord and Savior but others who will see these hands raised and will feel terror when they see the scars. Charles Spurgeon, the great prince of preachers as he was known back in the 1800s wrote this. I think we have that quote. We can put it up. You can read along. There is another and a terrible reason Christ still wears his wounds. Christ is coming to judge the world. Every time Christ lifts up his hands to heaven, the men that hate or despise him are accused. The cries remembered, his blood be on us and on our children, Matthew 27. And the sin of casting Christ away and rejecting him is brought before the mind of the Most High. And when Christ comes a second time to judge the world in righteousness, seated on the great white throne, those hands of his will be the terror of the universe. They will look at the one they pierced, John 19, and they will mourn for their sins. i would never thought about this to this week, but I think it's okay to think of the ascension. The ascension is many things. God must go into heaven proving that heaven and earth can be united, humanity can be with God, so that he could send the Spirit to give us power, to enable us to do his work. But the ascension is also a part of God's patience. Because God knows in his resurrected state, we don't see accounts of him meeting with non-followers, only followers. Well, why is that? Because Jesus knows that when he comes now in his new resurrected self, those who have not turned to him must be and will be judged. So his ascension, you can think of it like this, is his patience. That he is creating for now a distance, but that distance will not last forever. He will return, and he'll raise his hands again, and it will be clear, this is Jesus of Nazareth. Same Jesus. Same body. Same risen Lord. And so he's being patient. He's removing himself from the situation because he knows what would happen when he comes. So don't think of it as, where is he? We long for him to be back, but the patience of God, the love of God, wants to create enough space so that people like you and me have time to consider what he's done for us. Consider his wounds and see his raising up of his hands not as our terror, but as our joy. All this is to say one simple thing. Friends, receive the blessing of Christ, outstretched, his scarred hands, his proposal now. Say yes to his proposal now. Come what may, whatever you regard as the seeming sacrifices of being married to Christ in this life, say yes to his proposal. Take it all, whatever comes. Whatever you have to give up, Whatever you think, it, however that limits you, take it now. Say yes to the marriage of the Lamb. For there's coming a day soon when those outstretched hands will not look so weak and wounded, so sick and sore, so torn and tender, but they will look like the hands of your judge who says, Why didn't you say yes? Why wouldn't you receive my blessing?" Let's pray.